right, here we go. Welcome to the 1000 Hours Outside podcast. My name is Ginny Urich. I'm the founder of 1000 Hours Outside. And I'm so excited to have a friend with me today, Mandy Davis from Home Built Education. Welcome. Hi, thank you so much for having me. We were just at a conference together and it was so much fun. (laughs) Oh, that was the best. Yes, the Wild and Free Conference in Franklin, Tennessee. Highly recommend. Everyone should go every year. It's fantastic. It's usually in the fall. We were dancing behind stage with Sally Clarkson. That's the first thing I think of every time I think of the conference. So, <laughs> yeah, they had these dancers. It was so cool. It was like this. Uh, like Ainsley was on stage. Ainsley Arment is the founder of Wild and Free, and she knocked her cup off of this desk. And I thought it was just an accident, but it like went into this whole dance scene. So there was these dancers that were behind stage for a good portion of the weekend. And they were just dancing. They were like learning new dances. And we joined in. Teaching us dances. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's so much in. fun. It was so much fun. I love that part. I was like, I want to move to Tennessee just to join this dance troupe. So it was so fun to meet you there. We, we had already connected online. And you had a new book that came out this year, A Matter of Principle. But it's principle spelled like a principle is your pail. That's how I learned that. Mm-hmm. I'm not a very good speller, but that is one of the things I remembered. Principle is your pail. A former school principal's journey to redefine education and bring learning back to the home. Fantastic book. Thank you. Huge congrats, Mandy. Thank you. Thank you so much. You've got a book out in the world. And this is a lot of talk about homeschooling, but you know, we always say whatever time you have with your kids, you can take these principles and infuse them into your life. So we're talking about how kids learn. We're talking about play, getting kids out into nature, letting kids develop on their own timelines. All of these things we can infuse with whatever time we have with our kids. And so I think a lot of the principles will apply. But if you are a homeschooling family, this is going to be right up your alley too. And Mandy, you have got this funny Instagram. I'm like, I'm looking at these things. I'm like, it's sound effects and little cartoons are popping out and you're just talking. <laughs> it's like really entertaining. And your YouTube channel has got so many subscribers, Home Built Education. You have your website, homebuilteducation.com. So you have got a story here of leaving a system. Mm-hmm. It's a big story. You were a principal at your children's school and you left. I think this story will cause a lot of people to think about their own life and journey. And I think it will inspire people maybe to make a big leap like you did. Can you talk us through a little bit about what happened in those years? Sure, absolutely. I feel like my journey through school um, and, and, and thinking about school really started as a student myself. I went through the public school system and I wouldn't understand it then as a child, um, but I was bullied and I was what I would consider now and how I consider a lot of kids feel, I was an outlier. I didn't fit really any mold that so often our schools can unintentionally create for kids. Growing up a part of the school system, you know, going through and completing a bachelor's, completing a master's, working on my EDD and PhD, and with the goal to be a change in the school system, it really took motherhood for me to see, okay, I don't think that the changes that I'd like to see in our school system are going to happen in my own children's academic lifetime. Mm -hmm. So what does that mean? Because 
if I'm not able, even as an administrator, even as the principal of their school, if I'm not able to change it for them, I might need to take a different look at what I'm doing. And I might need to take my kids' education back into my own hands. It's a big story. And this is a topic that we've never talked about on this podcast. But I want to share a little bit of my own story, unrelated to school, but related to church, which can be a pretty touchy subject. We're a Christian family, but we've had, I think, like many people, some bumps along the road with church most recently. Uh, This is like such a personal story, but it's been a thing for us this year. I was told that I can't serve in our church's youth group because you have to give a two-year commitment and you can't miss one week. And it was kind of a shock to me because I've got it, like you've got a master's, you know, we've got this education degree. I taught high school for five years. I taught middle school before that. I have high schoolers. We've worked with youth before, my husband and I. And it's this system that is set up, I guess, for someone that's not like me. And we've had similar situations that that have been confusing to me because if you are a Christian and you just take your Bible, you know, it talks about how the church is supposed to be this body of Christ and everyone plays their part. So it's just been real confusing. And I have tried to get a grip on what's going on. And I've actually found a lot of my answers in homeschool books. So the first one I found an answer was in John Taylor Gatto's book. It's called Dumbing Us Down, where he talks about the difference between an institution and like a family or real community. He gave this insight of school as like an institution and that an institution exists to keep itself going. So whereas maybe a one-room schoolhouse started as something that was there to help the community and help the students and the families, as things grow, there's this switch sometimes over to an institution. And I started to get this little image of like, maybe that's what's going on sometimes a church, which I would imagine it's tricky, right? It's like a business, you've got to pay your tax. I don't know, you don't, I guess you don't have to pay taxes because it's nonprofit, but you know, there's these business elements of it. And then I read your book and a similar theme emerged. You talked about hierarchies. And I thought, Mandy, that this was so fascinating. You say, every hierarchy in its nature creates divides. These divides, while initially subtle, can grow and overshadow the primary mission of education. We build systems and structures in hopes of streamlining and optimizing. But over time, if not kept in check, these very systems become limiting. Then you say, the outliers often illuminate the discrepancies and blind spots within the hierarchies. And I I tell you what, this helped me understand what I'm going through. Mm. It's like, I'm an outlier. We go and speak at conferences. Mm -hmm. We don't have a regular nine to five job. I'm gone for some weekends out of the year for things that we believe are very important and impactful, but we're an outlier and we're not fitting into that system. And so what I'd love to talk about, Mandy, because these concepts of institution, and hierarchies. I was also an educator and spent one year in administration, had that experience of like the policies coming from the heavens. But where are these coming from? And knowing that there was nothing I could do to change that like every second grade classroom had to look exactly the same. All the tests had to be the same, no matter the district, no matter, you know, no matter the kid. I think sometimes parents think I can change it. They think I can change the amount of time my re- kids gets for recess. I can change this, that, and the other thing. And one of the big things this book does is challenge that thought. 
So can you give parents, I think we have to be realistic about it. Can you give parents the behind the scenes? Like what is really happening when you have a child that's not fitting the mold? It's so hard. And right now is probably one of the most challenging times in history with our teacher shortages and professional shortages within the school. There's less help there. So first, the question is, if your child's not fitting a mold, do you know? And does anyone at the school know? Because so often it's not seen. We're looking at classrooms of 25 plus to one. And these teachers are working so hard and giving all of their heart to these classrooms. But they're also in pressure cookers to be able to score well on these tests and to bring everyone in their classroom to that middle average. And while they're trying to do that, there are these little situations and and friendships and happenings in their classroom that just aren't being seen. So the first big question is if my child is not fitting or is feeling like an outlier, am I seeing it? And is any other adult in the school seeing it? Are we able to identify it and know? And is there a chance they're suffering alone? Because those are the children that I worry most about, the ones who are feeling it on them. And as adults, we don't see it. I feel like another situation that's just perpetuating is as we look as parents in what's the best educational choice for my child, it is so easy to choose a route that we know. And it's so easy to trust anyone else but yourself. And I don't know why that is because as parents, let me tell you, we know our children better than anyone else in the world. Yet for some reason, even as I left education, boy, was it hard for me to say, I can do this. And I came from a background in education. And I was so hesitant to put that trust in myself because there's this beauty in homeschooling where we have this amazing freedom. And that same freedom can feel very scary and isolating at times because you just check in and you say, wait, am I on Am I on the right track? When was the last time I checked in with myself on this? Am I doing enough? So as we look for school choices, as easy as it is to trust a system that's been around a very long time, I just always encourage parents, trust yourself first. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. Sometimes people say it actually hasn't been around for all that long. If you look at mm. the entirety of culture and and so then it actually, you could say, well, maybe this this is the experiment. And when you go back to sort of a family-based approach, like, well, this is kind of the tried and true, at least for a very long time. So people write like in our Facebook group, Mandy, they'll say, okay, my kid's recess is only 25 minutes and I wish it, that it was longer. And when I was a kid, it was long. We had 45-minute recess. We had it three times a day in elementary. It was morning, lunch, and afternoon. We had a lot of time to play outside. And ironically, that gives the teacher a break too. When we talk about these teachers being in pressure cookers, it's like, if the kids can play more, then everybody gets a little bit more time. But the point is, is that these parents, they write in and they say, my child's only getting 25 minutes. They don't go outside when it's not even that cold, but like a little cold. And this whole nature of recess has changed. And they say, how can I change that? What can I do about it? I mean, I don't want to be a Debbie Downer, but I do kind of want to be honest. So you're talking about in this book, 
can I make meaningful contributions beyond simply sending in cupcakes for the holiday party? Can parents make any substantial changes? Oh man, if I had a nickel for every email I received as principal of of parents asking why our fifth graders only had one recess a day. You know, there were other grade levels with multiple in the day, but a policy at the school. And there was nothing I could do to change that. That's what is so hard is it might look like a small change on paper, adding 10 minutes more for recess, but it has to go through so many hands to get approved. And on top of going through so many hands, everyone has a roadblock of a reason or a question. Well, then what is 10 minutes going to come out of? Yeah, Because we can't lose this curriculum and we can't lose, you know, th- there's so much that it's funny. There's so much that's packed into that day. And at the same time, my big question is maybe we need to look at, at the structure as a whole on how we're doing this because it's so long for kids to be sitting. It's so long. Angela Hanscom, I'm not sure if you've read the book Balanced and Barefoot. It's uh, She's a pediatric occupational therapist and she talks about the holistic approach to kids, which is one of the things you talk about in this book. Like, okay, we've got the academics covered, but what about the other parts of childhood? So Angela Hanscom, went, she said she went and sat at a middle school. She wanted to kind of remind herself what it was like. So she went and sat at a middle school as an adult. You know, she, I think she's in her 40s. She went and sat for a day and she said, Mandy, she could only make it half a day. She said she couldn't even. Man. She had to leave. She said it was, sure. she was so like brain dead from all the mm-hmm. sitting. It just like sucked the life out of her. <laughs> so she couldn't stay. But I think the point is, it's very important to know you're a parent and you're thinking about your child's education. Sometimes you have to think about this pretty early on, because if you're Mm -hmm. aiming maybe to live off of one income, maybe you're going to have to make these choices years ahead of time. But if you're a parent and you have the thought of, I'm going to send my kid and I'm going to make change, you're not. You're not. not. Right. Because the policies are coming like in part from politicians. It was so weird. I remember thinking like as I moved my way up thinking, okay, well now I'll be the decision maker, but you, you aren't. The decision makers Mm -hmm. are not in the classrooms. No, they're not. They're not in the school buildings. Right. I mean, the ultimate decision makers are not even in the school buildings. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you said an interesting thing because you said fifth grade parents are writing in to say, I wish recess was longer. But then there's also other fifth grade parents who are writing in to say, why aren't we doing more academics? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 100%. You've got both ends of the spectrum. What are you supposed to do? Everybody's coming at it from a different approach. So I just really want to lay that realistic framework from someone who's been their principal. You say it's politicians, district leaders, there's policy makers, and they are the ones who are deciding our children's day-to-day life and what that looks like for them. And it is very, very difficult to make any systemic change. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's also true at church, hopefully not Mm -hmm. at yours. (laughs) But but it's good to understand. I think you have a better Mm -hmm. understanding Then you're like, it changes from like, do they not like me? What's wrong? To for whatever reason, I'm not fitting into this system. I'm, I'm a little out of the norm and it just changes your understanding level of it. So it's a great, phenomenal, Mandy, I think, explanation of what's happening. And you had such the perfect 
platform and experience to be able to share that. Let's pop over to this holistic approach. Mm-hmm. So you you leave a system where the whole day is directed by adults for the most part, very scheduled, timekeeping, the bells, and you leave it. And what is that transition like? Oh man, that was tough. That is still, you know, it's still tough. It is hard to to break it. And more so, I didn't realize how much our entire family's day-to-day function revolved around the school system until we left. Because suddenly we didn't have to wake up at the crack of dawn to drive and get through traffic. And we didn't have a, a pickup line or, or for us, you know, waiting until school meetings after school to drive home. We didn't have homework in the evenings that we're taking from family time. And we didn't have then the rest of the evening spent preparing for the next day to do it all again. And so it was this huge relief and eye-opening period of time. And yet every week I still shake off like muscle memory almost of being really rigid or being really scheduled, or this is why we do something without knowing the why, but just doing it and going through the motions. And so it took me a while to de-school. And it's something that's funny because one of the number one comments I get online is it's it's easy for you to homeschool because you came from education. But man, I'm like, I don't know. I don't know if it is because I had to unlearn everything that I thought was the only norm that existed. Hmm. You talk about your journey to self-assuredness. Can you explain for someone who doesn't know, what is de-school? Oh, absolutely. De-schooling is that process. Some parents have the school choice conversation and transition to homeschool right at school age. But other parents like myself, you may have chosen a different route, a public school, a private school, and then decided to make the choice to homeschool. D-school process is that period of time between your in-classroom and traditional school experience to homeschool experience. And really, it's important not only for the kids, but also for mom and dad because it's such a big mind shift. My kids and I would talk and joke about it because my oldest, who's 12 now, would say, I don't think kids know what homeschooling is because we had to really rewire our brains and kind of come off of, okay, kids, I know that in school you had 45 minutes in reading class and then you had a two-minute break and then you had 50 minutes in math class and then you had lunch. We're not going to do that, okay? We're going to pick the books we want to read and we're going to do math that works around our baby's schedule and his nap schedule, and that works when we're ready and motivated to do math. It was such a beautiful thing, but it does take that de-schooling process to give yourself that permission of, this is going to look completely different, but that's okay. I mean, Mandy, that was a big transition for you. (laughs) And you talked about how, and I think there is truth here, that a lot of those things you find comfort in because- you're used to it. You're used to the bells and you're used to the passing time and you're used to all those things. And then all of a sudden you say the comforting routine of school bells, timetables, and parent-teacher meetings were replaced by fluidity, which could also be termed chaos. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> of child-led exploration, spontaneous learning moments, and the ever-evolving dynamics of mother-child interactions. I mean, this is a big trade-off, mm -hmm. and you were at the top there. You know, you have your degree, you're the principal, you're helping guide the whole thing, and then you step out of it. Can you walk us through the timeline? How long were you in the school, and how long has it been since you left? Sure. So let's see. I was in through COVID. I'm, I'm going back far in time here. We left. Um, I left my role in 2022. And we started homeschooling full time in 2022. And so this is our second full year in. However, I did have a period of time when the girls were kinder and preschool that we did homeschool because I was nervous at that kickoff and kindergarten readiness age of, okay, I don't think I'm quite ready to send my oldest at the time off yet. And then of course, um, we were home through COVID. Well, I think this is, that can give parents a lot of hope. It's only 2023. Yes. And in 2022, you stepped out and you have a book now and you have this YouTube and the funny Instagram and you are inspiring families to look at things differently. So that would give me a lot of hope. It's not like it took you six years to de-school and figure it no, out. It's just been no. a year. And, yes. and you see, but you said, you know, this was funny. Will you talk about this is an you're evolving as a mom too, and it's a journey for the mom too. And you say the first hiccup came early. By the second lesson on day one, one of my kids couldn't find their math book. By hour two of our first day, I felt like I had already failed. A strict schedule was not our friend. Oh, absolutely. If you were to give someone a little hope, kind of like when you have a newborn, right? And people say, it'll get easier when they're six weeks which I found that that was not the case. That was a lie, I thought, but some people said it. Mm -hmm. And here you are, you're, you're in year two. But on day one, you're feeling overwhelmed. About how long until you feel like you've got your feet under you a little bit more? So it is, it is so different, family to family. And I went in with my planner and colored pens in hand. And I, I was like, let's go. I've got every hour scheduled down to the minute. And oh man, I failed so hard, but I just had to laugh. And the more you can just laugh through it with your kids and remember that they're along on the journey too. So I never made my failures like a, a personal thing of, I see moms sometimes will comment, will ask me, we're going through a hard time, I'm failing. And I'll ask them why. And typically it's very familiar and similar to my own where it's the schedule's not working mm. or the curriculum's not working or one of the kids doesn't seem happy. And my first question is always, what do your kids think? And a lot of the times they don't know. And so when I went through and started, I would just include the kids in everything. Is this working for you? Because this is making mom panic. Like I feel like this is chaos. Is this chaos? And it's funny because certain parts of the day that I felt were pure chaos, they loved. So I had to come to terms with, okay, they love this crazy running around time. So how can we make this work where I don't feel like I'm flailing underwater? Mm -hmm. And then other parts that I was like, we are a well-oiled machine. It was the lowest part of their day. <laughs> and so I thought, okay, I need to, I need to rethink this. So including your kids, there will always be hard days. Even now, I have tough days. 
and we're human. We're all going to have tough days. And even now, one of my kids will have a tough day. Someone will wake up on the wrong side of the bed. But we just lean into each other and communicate. And as much as we can, try to find the humor and the laughter in it and just push through. Oh, yeah. You're really good at that. I see it. I can see it through your <laughs> online presence. You're just having fun. You're having fun. And at some point along the way, within one year, you were able to shed your colored pens and shift <laughs> your approach. So there you go. There's a lot of hope there. It doesn't have to look the same. And you know, as a principal, kids have hard days in the school system as well. So mm -hmm. it's just part of life. Some days are great and some days are harder. Eating better is easy with Factors delicious, ready to eat meals. Every fresh, never frozen meal is chef crafted, dietitian approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. So get started today and get after your goals. Some of the things we love about Factor are their two-minute meals. You can fuel up fast with Factor's restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat whenever you are. Our kids love the pancakes, smoothies, and more. And there's a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, including midday bites. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. And remember, to sign up and save, we've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash outside50 and use code outside50 to get 50% off. That's code outside50 at factormeals.com slash outside50 to get 50% off. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Question, what's the first thing you do if you had an extra hour in your day? Read a few chapters of that book, start painting that guest bedroom, tackle that pile of laundry, play a card game with your kids. A lot of us spending our lives wishing we had more time. The question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. If you're feeling stuck, therapy is something that can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. Therapy is a wonderful thing. It can help you learn positive coping skills or show you how to navigate properly setting boundaries. With BetterHelp, it's easy to get started. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try and visit BetterHelp.com slash 1000 hours to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash 1000 hours. You had a couple big things here that happened. Number one, you lost a big part of your identity. How did you handle that? Ooh, that was that was really tough. It was tough. On the macro level, I made this choice for this alternative route for our family. And for that, I'm so thankful. But on the micro and local level, it was really hard because this goal that I had worked towards my whole life, was I giving that away? Was I certain of that choice? And so just working through that, working through the loss of our community, because again, like there's, there's the big level where I'm so thankful for social media and groups like Wild and Free, where you can really connect and build a homeschool community. 
But, uh, you know, back to that local level, we lost friends. I lost professional colleagues. And that was really, really tough. And so it just took a lot of time. And thankfully, we had that de-schooling process happening at the same time, where as a family, we just leaned into one another. And, you know, my husband would say, we don't have community yet, but we will. And so it, you know, it, it was a, it was a process, but looking back all of the hard days and the tough times, you know, really had to happen for us as a family to grow and and to land here in the community that we're in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So loss of community, loss of identity, dealing with skepticism. Mm -hmm. That was a big one too, right? You're literally stepping out of a system and completely changing the system for your own family. I would imagine that was really tricky. It was. It was hard. That is the, that and community are the main reasons I came on to social media. I didn't come on early thinking I'll help others. And I've been so thankful that I'm able to. I came on because I needed community and to not personally feel alone. And here in my community locally, I didn't yet know any homeschoolers. First in our family, first of our friends. So, so thankful to find homeschool community quickly and just feel like, okay, others have given me on, especially my low days, that courage just to keep going and keep finding that laughter and joy. And really, it's a pretty big full circle moment because you went into education to help kids and you still are helping kids. And I think that often happens that we feel that we're stepping away from our calling. We're stepping away from the things that we are really maybe naturally good at or find a lot of fulfillment in, but they creep in in other ways. I would say we're both a testament to that, right? Like I like to teach. Absolutely. And guess what? We're doing it right now. <laughs> yes, we are. Through <laughs> a podcast. Okay. So your husband said, we don't have the community yet. Your husband said, onward. Yes. I think, right? There was this mm -hmm. part in the book where when you message him or, you know, you're talking about we're doing this onward. And you talk about him in the book that he cultivated a knack for self-directed learning. Mm -hmm. Tell us about the difference there. You talk about you had this traditional university role. He carved a path distinctly his own, his gaps, his childhood gaps. And I think this is incredibly important because I think we're afraid of gaps as parents. We're afraid of those gaps. We don't want the gaps to fall on our shoulders. We're afraid of gaps. But you say the gaps that he had didn't impede his broader education. Instead, they seemed to forge a resilience and self-reliance in him. Absolutely. His educational journey is so different than my own. He and I are actually quite opposites in general. You know, he moved a lot as a child. And because of that, every state and every school and every district, they had a different set of objectives and even a different way, for example, that they were teaching fractions. And so he would switch schools and the school was already past two-digit multiplication. That was done. But he hadn't learned that yet at his old school. So it was just, okay, well, we got to move past it. So on a large scale, he had these gaps of learning that no one slowed down to say, oh, he missed this. So we've, we've got to go back. No, they just said, push him forward because we're past it. 
Well, this is the outlier thing, right? This is the yes. outlier oh, once again. 100%. We're back to that. Here's a kid that hasn't stayed in the district their whole life. They're coming in from somewhere else. And so we can't accommodate for that. Oh, 100%, 100%. Then, you know, as a young adult and as an adult, he really loved learning. And to this day, he really loves learning. He really hated school. And so he would read books on what he wanted to learn about. And still to this day, he finds a book that interests him. He reads it and he learns. He's someone who also likes to work with his hands. So he's someone always picking up new skills, whether it's you know woodworking or building or his wife makes him build a mud kitchen or remodel a bus. I don't know. But he, <laughs> he's always picking these things up because he became a self-directed learner. It's a big testament to who he is as a person to be able to be okay that a system didn't wait for me and a system didn't help me, but I can help myself. And I feel like that's just huge. And just, it speaks to him as a person. But when we, you know, when we talk about gaps in education, because everyone has them, no matter what school choice you make, we cannot learn everything as individuals, as parents who homeschool, we cannot teach everything. But when you take the reins of your child's education, you can watch where those gaps are and more so guide where those gaps are. And that to me has been a really empowering part of this process as well. And just leaning back, you know, to child-led learning, less gaps of the areas that they love and more gaps in the areas that they probably won't carry with them their adulthood anyway. It's really good. And the parent knows that. Mm -hmm. And if a child shifts, they'll catch up. Mm -hmm. If they shift and say, well, now I am interested in this, they can catch up quickly. You have this sentence in here that says, many future jobs are yet undefined. True, right? Mm -hmm. We don't even know what's coming. The true skill will lie in the ability to adapt, learn, and evolve. How do we foster those characteristics in children? Oh man, so many worry about the gaps again, you know, or the curriculum, like what are we teaching? I don't think it's about the topics we're teaching, but are we teaching and motivating and showing our children how to learn? And it's broad, it's broad. But I rather teach how to read and evaluate a text than be focused on what specific texts we should be reading in X amount of time. It's the critical thinking side and it's the bit also the ability to slow down. And for me and for our choice as a family, it's another reason we leaned into homeschooling was to slow down for that ability to put in critical thinking because so often it's just push and go, push and go, understand a text and move on to the next text. Or, you know, we're going to do this topic in history today. But what happens if you're working through a topic in, in history and it sparks a different idea in a child? You know, so many times as a teacher, I would find myself saying, that's such a good question. We will get back to that. And I knew in my heart, we would never come back to that every time. 
And it's tough. You know, again, the teachers are doing everything that they can and working so hard, but there's just not the time. And right now, the support as well. Mm-hmm. It's just not set up to be individualized. Mm-mm. I remember I had students. So as a high school teacher, you would have a lot of students. You know, you'd have 150 every semester. It's a lot of students. That is a ton of students. And I, you know, I remember I would have students that the parents would message and they would say, my kid's too shy to ask a question in class. They're going to need after school help. And I just would think like, I can't, not with that many kids. And how, how do you accommodate for that? And it's just, a, those are hard conversations. So I agree with you. These teachers are working tremendously hard. I say it felt like a circus act every single day. You had to be prepared every minute of every day. It was so exhausting. Yes. Oh, kudos to these teachers. That is an exhausting job. Wow, it really is. I remember reading somewhere that teaching is like 80% performance <laughs> to be on and to be ready and because you got to hold all these kids' attention yeah. so you can keep moving through the day. Right, and there are kids now that are watching TikTok and things like that. So <laughs> it just, wow, bless the teachers. That is a difficult job. Mm-hmm. What about grading? Well, let me ask you this. I have two separate questions, so let me start here. I've talked to just one one pediatrician who said she sometimes would write a prescription that a kid could skip their homework. I was like, oh, but that does make you an outlier. It's a really tricky situation. I think because in school and in life and in any institution, you really are pressured not to stick out. Like don't do anything against the norm because it makes someone else's job harder. And I get that. What would you say to a parent who is not homeschooling, but is wanting more family time Should they skip the homework? Oh, man, that's tough. That's so tough because there is a chance because in the pacing of the classroom, there is a chance that the kids just do not get to the work. And I know that that is so unfortunate to say, you know, in six to seven hours, they didn't get to this. They didn't have time to finish. But when you are facing so many kids at so many different levels, it's just not always happening. But I understand that need and that draw for family time. And it is so important. A couple things. First, if possible, a timer method. If your kiddo is in school, and I used to do this with with my kids, you know, for let's say a fifth grader, it's a 30-minute timer. And we're just going to work on homework for 30 minutes. And I'm going to let your teacher know that's what we do every night. We dedicate 30 more minutes, which is a lot on top of your school day. We dedicate 30 more minutes and you're going to complete as much as you can. And the beautiful thing here is on the days that maybe there's nothing, but you want them to be in a routine of having that 30 minutes, then they can fill that 30 minutes with reading or with a, an interest of the, of study that they have. But setting a time and being upfront with your child's teacher about that time, I feel like that would be most fair. It's so hard. It's so nuanced. I love that idea. It doesn't come across quite so combative as we're not doing anything, mm-hmm. but this is right. what we have to offer. We're going to do our best with it. I think that's a fantastic idea. Mm-hmm. And it does prepare kids for the higher grades when there will be a little bit more to do. And maybe you have a different timer for younger kids, a little bit less. I think that's a fantastic idea. This leads into the grading conversation, which is such an odd one. I left before there were standardized grading procedures, and I don't know if there are now. There were starting to be these tests that 
took place across all the different grade levels that were the same. But it wasn't like this teacher graded the same as that one. And I taught math in high school. One of the teachers, she was the department chair, and part of the grading had to do with keeping this meticulous notebook and it had to be organized in a certain way. And if it wasn't organized in that way, you couldn't take the test. And so a ton of the kids failed the class. And I just remember thinking, well, that notebook has nothing to do with the math lessons, but she was the department chair and had one teacher of the year. So talking about being outliers, the teachers can't be either. It's, <laughs> it is so tricky. It's such a tricky environment. So they would want you to do them. I, I didn't do it. I'm like, I'm not doing the notebook. It, it doesn't matter. It doesn't have anything to do with the actual content, but that's kind of how it is. So grades to me always felt very arbitrary and yet they're very tied to identity. What are your thoughts there? Oh man, grades are so, so arbitrary. So I've been at schools who use several dif different scales and I did not like any of them. In some situations, just from a kiddo being absent, their grade would drop substantially. Maybe they missed an assignment and it was marked as a zero, but their grade would drop. How is that showing mastery or understanding of a topic? The whole academic standards, those are built for the school system to know and track data-wise where are our kids performing. It's tough when you have this expectation for kids to all be ideally in the middle or slightly above because you're going to have kids who are far, far excelling and they need a challenge, but instead they're going to stay in the middle or slightly above. And then you're going to have the kids that need a life jacket so badly and other parts of their confidence of their interest and enjoyment in learning are going to be affected by never being able to get the grade that they want, no matter how hard that they work on an assignment. And so I feel like this area, on top of several others, we need to look at who grades are serving because it is putting a stress and a pressure on kids. And being as they're so dependent on the school, on the individual teacher, it's just so much. And when you look at the ultimate goal, the ultimate goal is to learn. Is this grade really showing this individual learned or they did not learn? And is it touching on those things that you talked about, which were what your husband has, like this flexibility type thing? So there's two sides of it. One side is how discouraging to be a child that works as hard as they can and can't ever get there. That sticks with you your whole life. And then on the other hand, to be the child who nails it, who nails all the grades, but can't adapt, learn, or evolve. <laughs> because I, it, I think it can give you a false sense of confidence in your life. I feel that that's often the case. You graduate, you got good grades, and then all of a sudden you're thrown into this world where things are really changing and you're completely lost. You don't know how to self-direct. You don't know how to take risk. You don't know how to fail. You don't know. You certainly don't know how to fail. So I had talked to you. I can't remember who it was and I wish I could. Talked about how it was like a college professor saying, I don't know if I read it in a book or I talked to somebody, but they were saying like, 
the best are the B students because they know how to let some things go and or the ones who are hustling the side jobs, but they're getting C's and they can manage all these things. So what a different perspective. That's such a different perspective. It's like, instead of being like, my kid is an honor roll, my kid's a C student who also, you know, delivers papers or I don't even think that's a job anymore. Whatever. My kid, <laughs> my kid hustles and they do these different things and they have these different interests. So it's interesting. You say, the inadequacies of a traditional grading system, trying to justify and explain the worth of their precious children through mere grades and test scores. They had to pass the state testing. It was related to funding. That is a lot of pressure for kids and for teachers. So just interesting. Food for thought in this book, A Matter of Principle, A Former School Principal's Journey to Redefine Education and Bring Learning Back to the Home by Mandy Davis. Fantastic one. When the skies open up while others seek shelter, I embrace the rain. Heading to my favorite hike, the raindrops are like a soothing melody, and my vessies ensure each step is dry and comfortable, turning a simple outing into a rather delightful experience. Whenever my kids and I are stepping into a great outdoors adventure, I love wearing vessies, stormburst boots, to capture the beauty of springtime landscapes. Their robust style is perfect for our nature excursions, adding a little dash of elegance to our outdoor explorations. This spring, Transform how you view wet weather with Vessi. Their Dymatex technology makes their shoes not just waterproof, but a stylish barrier against rain and puddles. Whether it's a sudden downpour or a planned seaside walk, Vessi shoes ensure your feet stay dry and comfortable. Embrace the essence of spring with Vessi. From chic city walks to adventurous treks, find the perfect pair for your lifestyle at Vessi.com outside and enjoy an automatic 15% off your first order upon checkout. That's V-E-S-S-I dot com slash outside for 15% off your first order. Everyone wants to start their year off on the right foot. And for me, that means making sure I'm eating well and have enough energy to do everything I want to do. But I'm not going to run to the butcher every day to get a fresh cut of quality meat. That's why Good Chop is such a lifesaver for our family. Good Chop offers fully customizable boxes of high-quality meat and seafood delivered to your door on your schedule. Their products are vacuum-sealed and frozen at peak freshness, so you can stock your freezer and cook when you want. We had a somewhat last-minute get-together recently, and it was so incredibly convenient to just head to the freezer and pull out a couple bags of Good Chop's hamburger patties to whip up some burgers quickly. They were so delicious. Besides being delicious, it's important to know it won't cost you a fortune either. Good Chop's price per meal starts at just $3.74. Go to goodchop.com outside120 and use code outside120 to get $120 off across your first four boxes. That's code outside120 at goodchop.com outside120 for $120 off. Goodchop.com outside120 code outside 120. You talk about the holistic approach. You say, beyond academics, we need to emphasize the development of emotional, social, and physical skills. You said this really cool thing. The well-being of the body became central in our homeschooling journey. Talk to us about that. Yeah. Coming off, you know, the school system again, I had just been programmed to think, this this was all normal. This is normal. You, as a child, you go to school. 
At school, you sit in a desk. You get up when you're allowed to get up and you use the bathroom when you ask. And you have maybe a snack time if you're in a lower grade. And then you have lunch. And then you go back to class and you sit somewhere. Oh, man, that's not normal. <laughs> that's not That's not natural for children. And all of this, you know, your kiddo's chatty or, or your kiddo has the wiggles or kids have wiggles, kids have movements, kids want to be outside. And that is the natural way. So having them sit, having them not move their bodies, ha- not keeping hands busy through the day, it's kind of pushing against that nature. And then as an adult, still being wired to think that was normal because that's what I had gone through myself, being able to put our emphasis back at the home and understand that our days matter. Our learning happens in the day, but we pair life with learning. And in life, you've got to move around. You've got to get outside. You've got to see things and chase things and have wonder. And if I were to take a timer and just hit that go button, like a stopwatch and hit start every time we were just completely sitting and still and upright with good posture and not talking during the day. I don't know how often, if ever, I'd hit that start button because we want to be comfortable and we want to learn in a place that makes us feel comfortable. And just being able to lean into that and embrace that and make it such a focal point of our homeschool has been such a blessing. Yeah, you're able to do that. Even when I sit and record podcasts, I don't have the really nice microphone. I've got this headset. <laughs> it looks like I'm like on a, a, what is it? People call in like a call center. They're, you know, I have a customer <laughs> like service complaint. <laughs> but it's because I'm like my body, I got to move around. And I'm always like just mm-hmm. doodling on the side and taking notes of what the people say. So I am not your, <laughs> I'm, I'm an outlier. I don't know. I guess mm-hmm. I mean, I, I would always be doodling in class. I think it helps for some people, it helps you be more concentrated. Oh, absolutely. There's something about the hands and the brain. Busy hands. Absolutely. I, yeah. I mean, when we're doing read alouds, we are also doing handicrafts or we're playing with putty or we're doing something because busy hands help us to focus. Yeah. Isn't that, that's so interesting. It's definitely counterintuitive. Mm-hmm. So you're allowed to honor that when you homeschool or in the times when you're not homeschooling, maybe you're in the evening and you're working on homework, like let your kids play with a little thing or let them doodle. All that stuff is so important to them. And then they see you also taking care of yourself as well. And I think that is so key. You even talked about some of the things that your kids had noticed, which I thought was so cute. You had that in the book that they would say, oh, you like to, I can't find it. They would say something like, you like to play too, mom, or you oh, yes. what I'm I talking love about? To play. Yes. Uh, I mean, they, I learned a lot about myself and continue to every day. And they learned a lot about me too, because what we're able to do at home now is each follow our own interests. And that includes, you know, me as mom. And I think that's also a popular question that new homeschoolers or or families considering homeschooling might ask me is, will I have enough time for me? And really, I felt like my whole life opened and started up um, when I started homeschooling. Oh, 
That is so huge, Mandy, because it's the exact opposite of what everyone would think. But it's true. And the reason is because you stretch yourself. And I think as an adult, you could possibly go your entire life without stretching yourself. And then when you step into something that's completely brand new, you have to change too. And that is what makes your life more full. And it really is the truth. I mean, you would think, no, you think I'm going to lose myself. I'm going to lose it all. Right. But no, 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 no. You gain, <laughs> you gain a whole, yes. a whole, this, I found the things that your, your kid said. Mm-hmm. They said, you're just like a big kid, aren't you? <laughs> you always seem to get lost in the stories, just like I do. What sweet things for your kids to notice and for them to take with them about their mother. Mm. They'll always remember that. They're going to tell their kids that. My mom loved to get lost in stories. And they know that because they get to be with you. And then you had from one of your daughter's perspective, she said she felt that school was slow. And then she says, every day feels like an adventure. I really, really love homeschooling. So there may be a fear for our kids. They didn't know anything different. But there may be a fear that if your kids are there, because there is, there's a a push and pull, there's a give and take, there's pros and cons, that they may be really upset with the choice that you make as a family. But tell us about how your kids are perceiving that. We, We do have to remember, there are so many misconceptions that exist around homeschooling. I'm always curious, and and I'll ask any family, not just homeschooling families, but have you talked to your kids about what homeschooling is, or do they know that's an option? Because before we started, it's not something we ever brought up to our children. It's not ever something we said, you know, I know you go to school every day and, and you enjoy school, but there are these other families and they homeschool and their kids get a play half the day. So we're not going to do that, but I just want you to know it exists. Okay. Those conversations, they don't happen. They don't happen. Now, the misconceptions that exist for us as adults, there are so many misconceptions with kids. And now following COVID and emergency schooling, which was not homeschooling or a snapshot of homeschooling, being locked down, that is not homeschooling, there's unfortunately can be even worse misconceptions with kids that that negative experience where they were thrown into something brand new no time to transition in between. Everyone's learning new things. The adults in their life trying new things, everything. That that's homeschooling. And so when you bring it up, and I'll I'll watch, you know, my girls have these conversations with friends, you know, oh, I'm homeschooling. Oh, that's terrible. And they just don't know. They don't know what to expect of homeschooling. So there has definitely been a huge transition with the kids. My girls also, they both did well in school. They did well at their public school. They did well at their private school. And I would say they both liked school, but they excel at home. It's just a different kind of love. And it just, it takes us going through it together to really understand it. So if in those early days, the kids aren't quite sure, that is okay. We don't need to convince them in the early days. We just need to show them, okay, we're going to try this. Let's see how it feels. And then it's those constant conversations again and bringing in all of that laughter. Mandy, I adore you. (laughs) Your voice is so important in this space. And you bring a perspective that most people do not have being a principal, being an administrator at that level. It really matters. 
So people are wanting to find you. A Matter of Principle is the new book. Came out this year by Mandy Davis. YouTube channel, Home Built Education. Instagram, same thing. Home Built Education's fun. It's fun. Mm-hmm. Like if your mom and you are drowning, you're going over there and they're going to smile immediately. It's so fun. You're <laughs> holding that like white blanket thing and it's just That fun. is my comfort pillow. <laughs> yeah, you're holding your comfort I have, pillow. I have him with me at all times. <laughs> <laughs> Got the comfort pillow and it's entertaining and fun and informative and you are just the right person. Isn't it interesting? This was the path you were supposed to take mm-hmm. because now you can take your perspective and come in and say, look, parents, you're not going to be able to change anything. <laughs> it's not happening. I know you want to, and I know it's needed, but it's not going to happen. So you really have to think through what you're doing with your time, with your life, with the childhood. So absolutely fantastic. Mandy, we always end with the same question. What's a favorite memory from your childhood that was outside? Oh, gosh. I have so many. Um, I would say catching fireflies. I grew up in the Midwest and now I live on the West Coast. And I did not know, as an adult, I did not know that fireflies did not live everywhere. But gosh, when I was a child, I just remember catching them and, you know, poking holes, keeping them in the jar and then letting them out and um, just how special that was. And now, especially as an adult, I think about those memories with my family all the time. Well, Mandy, thank you so much for spending time with us. What's so interesting to me about your book is that it helped me process through some things that literally I'm going through this year. And it really gives a good picture of what that transition might look like for a family if they're wanting to step out of that. You have an appendix in the back, actually two of them that have all of these different little worksheets that you could fill out to start to think about what you want your homeschool to look like, little mission statement, how you can de-school your mind, your body, these different checklist ideas. This is fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank you. Huge congrats. I'm so glad that we've connected and danced together. Yes. It was very special. (laughs) Thank you for being here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Lynn, this time of year, parenting can be such a fluster clucks. You've come to the right place. I'm Lynn Lyons, and I've been treating anxious families for over 30 years. I'm Lynn's sister-in-law and co-host Robin Hudson. Join us for Fluster Clucks, a podcast for parents who worry. Wait, that's everybody. Yeah, these last few years have felt like one long anxiety attack for so many. Why do you think parents are always surprised that a podcast about anxiety relates to them, even if no one in their house has an anxiety disorder? Well, worry is human. Everyone does it. And anxiety shows up when we face uncertainty. All the parenting tips you've taught me have been essential. I love to break it down into skills we need to manage worry in our families. We've covered so many topics, depression, burnout, meltdowns, perfectionism. Don't forget scary mothers-in-law. Right, but of course that's not my mother-in-law. Because that's my mother. And a listener. As a psychotherapist, I like to teach parents and kids how to respond to everyday moments in healthy ways. Managing anxiety really can be taught. It really can. And I'll even tell you what to say. We talk about serious stuff, but without being too serious. Anxiety wants everything serious. Anxiety doesn't stand a chance when we're laughing, even about the tough stuff.